With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What is happening, everybody? I'm Larry Roberts. And I'm Sarah Lucy, and this is Brandon, your comprehensive guide to creative branding. And on this episode of the podcast, we have an amazing guest with us. We've known this gentleman now for several years, and he's always been super, super helpful when it comes to understanding our rights as content creators, as brand creators. And I've seen him speak on multiple stages. Sarah's been there as well. We've both interacted with him. We've gone to dinner with him. We've hung out with him, and he's actually become a pretty good friend as well. So it's our honor and pleasure to welcome Gordon Firemark to the show. Gordon, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Larry, Sarah, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Love the show, and I'm excited to be a guest on it. So, that's may awesome. I just say this is the award-winning Gordon Firemark? Yes, I was in Sarah's home territory last week to receive an award from the Texas Entertainment, uh, what's it, Entertainment and Sports Law Association, and uh, that was nice. And it was nice to see you, Sarah, there. And uh, yeah, it's exciting stuff. So. Thanks. So, so Gordon, that's what you specialize in is entertainment law. And you've been doing it now for what, over 30 years, I think longer than Sarah's been alive. Is that, is that the case? That is correct. Wow. That makes me feel old. (laughs) Don't feel bad. I've been doing a lot of things longer than Sarah's been alive too. So uh, I'm right there with you, brother. But I, I love what you bring to the table. And, you know, when we talk about building brands and building content and basically what we're doing is we're building IP or intellectual property. And a lot of times we have a very difficult time establishing ownership or copyrights or trademarks for this intellectual property that we put a lot of time, energy, effort, money into. And that's where you come into play. So if if you wouldn't mind, kind of lay the framework for us there, how you got into this and and give us some highlights of, of your time in the industry. Well, as you said, I do entertainment and media law, and uh, I my my mission in life, if you will, is to help to help creators to get their messages out and achieve the kind of impact and influence they uh, desire, and do it safely and without you know fear of getting sued and so on. So that usually means setting up some various kinds of protections to let them have the confidence so they can go out and be bold with what they're doing and really make that impact. I've been, as you said, practicing entertainment and media law for about 30 years, a little over 30 years now. And I got into the field because I had a a passion for live theater as a kid. I got exposed to that very, very young. And then um, in college, I pivoted into radio, television, and film. Uh, So I've been helping those kind of creators my whole career. And uh, the decision to go to law school sort of came when in the late 80s, the Writers Guild went on a long strike. We are just coming off of a long strike this uh, last summer. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, <laughs> deja vu all over again for me. But uh, that's what led me to go to law school and become an attorney. And, and I think that uh, really it 
uses my talents on understanding the creative mindset, but also being able to translate business and legal speak into a language that those folks understand. With our show being all about personal branding, what I really wanted to hear from you is do we need to like trademark our brand names? Like how much legal nonsense do we need to pull in? (laughs) I'm sorry. It's it's kind of nonsense to me because I understand none of it, but how much legal stuff do we need to actually consider when we do launch a brand or launch a podcast, like all of the stuff that we've been doing? Well, this is a matter of some debate in the podcasting community in particular. And 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 I guess I should back up and give a little history, a little background on different kinds of intellectual property law that's in place. You know, there's patent law, which covers inventions, technologies, and and uh, systems and processes and things like that if they're unique and you get some protection for about 20 years before it becomes part of the public domain that anybody's allowed to to use. Copyright protects the the content itself, the the body of an episode, the the music, the a song, a poem, a screenplay, a film, those kinds of things. So we 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 have copyright from the moment we create a, a podcast episode or something like that. If somebody copies the actual content, substantially similar content, that could be a copyright infringement. But when we talk about brands, uh, brand is an is a sort of another word, almost a synonym for trademark. Uh, it's a distinctive mark or symbol or word or phrase that is used to identify goods or services in commerce and connect them to the source, which company or maker is responsible for this product. It's exactly what a brand does. Now, in podcasting, a lot of folks say, well, make the title of your show something that tells everybody exactly what, you, what you're going to get when you listen to the show. My own show, Entertainment Law Update, is a great example of this. Uh, What's that, that show not- about? Yeah, right. What no. <laughs> something about <laughs> entertainment? Um, it's a very descriptive term. Now, descriptive terms aren't normally protectable as trademarks under U.S. federal registration trademark law uh, until it's acquired a kind of distinctiveness, which takes a number of years to to build up where the audience connects has a secondary meaning, connects the dots for that. So, my advice is pick a distinctive name that maybe evokes or suggests what the show is about, but use the subtitle, use the description fields to really tell the audience what they're going to get. And, you know, the question is, well, does that affect podcast discoverability and those kinds of things? So back to your question, Sarah, should you do take steps to protect a trademark? I think absolutely. If you have a distinctive name, something that can be registered uh, for for, uh, trademark protection in the U.S., I say register it so that other folks don't come in and adopt identical or very similar, confusingly similar titles for the show. You know, I have, I have clients that, that um, almost not a week goes by where someone doesn't adopt a title that's the same or similar to, to their client, to my, my client's podcast titles. And we send them a quick note and usually it's, it's pretty congenial. Hey, I'm sure you didn't realize, but you know, you gotta you gotta change the name of your show, and most of the time they do. Nice uh, little cease and desist letter. I, I, well, I may I, have received a couple of those over the course of my career. <laughs> yeah, those yeah. are always fun. I always advise the clients. You know, yes, you can hire me to have me write a lawyer, and it comes from a law offices of letterhead and all that, and it's very intimidating. And most of the time, that is using an A bomb to to do something you could you know could have just 
shot a BB gun at. <laughs> so I, I usually recommend first contact, make it yourself, reach out to them and just tell them I have a trademark, please change the name. Let's not get, let's not take me have this go any further. And oftentimes that works, but uh, by the time they come to me, usually it's a little bit of saber rattling that's necessary. So. So, so when you say I have a trademark, mm -hmm. it, that means like you, that you've actually had to register it. So mm -hmm. if you haven't registered it and someone else takes it, then you can't really. Yeah, great question. You know, uh, registration is is a strong position to have, but having adopted a particular distinctive brand and used it in commerce for a while, you you acquire common law trademark rights as well. And so it isn't always absolutely necessary to register a trademark, but the registration gives you a broader scope of protection and uh, covers you at a you know federal level here in the US and you can register in other countries as well. But um, you know, that, that would mean nobody else in the US could use that brand or nobody else could, uh, uh, you know, the podcast directories would take down a listing for an infringing title, which wouldn't happen. Is that cost effective though? I mean, is that something that most of your independent creators are going to want to incur the expense of in order to do that? It, 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 there is an expense associated with it. it. It could cost you a couple of thousand bucks to, to register a trademark, uh, in the two classes that, uh, we recommend for for podcasts. That's the other thing is that trademarks are registered in classes of goods depending on what you're selling. So if you wanted to call your chewing gum double mint, you're going to be out of luck. But if you wanted to call a medical device double mint, <laughs> you might be able to do it. Wrigley's isn't going to have much to say about that. So I can't imagine what that would, medical device would be, but <laughs> there you go. I've so got some ideas, but they're not appropriate for this audience. So we'll just <laughs> we'll leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> so is it cost effective? You know, I would say that at the point when you're starting to get serious about what you're doing as a business and it's no longer just a hobby and you just sort of wouldn't care if someone else was sort of competing that way. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good uh, a good step to take if you can afford it. It isn't a high priority. Um, you know, if, if, if it's a matter of feeding your kids ramen noodles for the next week to make it work that, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't make the big investment there, but it's the kind of thing you should allocate some budget for at some point and, and, uh, and plan for. Yeah. So you, you've mentioned patents and you've mentioned trademarks, but mm -hmm. we often hear about copyrights and yeah. a lot of times I hear some confusion. And if I'm being honest, I get a little confused in the differentiation between copyright and trademark. Can you kind of break that down for us? Okay. Yeah. So trademark is the protection for the brand, the title of a show, the brand, the name of a product or something like that. And it protects these distinctive symbols, words, phrases, and those kinds of things. Copyright is really about protecting expression of ideas. So if I sit down and write a script or a song or a poem, or I sculpt something into stone, that particular creative effort gets protected under copyright law. And copyright law, the, the protection exists from the moment the, the work is created. So uh, every episode we create, every script we write, every piece of artwork we generate for our show, those kinds of things. If it wasn't AI generated, Larry, well, uh, we're, he's entitled we're, to copyright that's coming. protection. Uh, that yeah. question is on deck, so brace yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so you get copyright protection sort of automatically. And uh, there is a registration system in the US as well. That's a good idea, but it's not nearly as, as important or critical as it might be in the trademark space. Gotcha, gotcha. Before Larry brings in AI and then I sit back and just don't say words, I am really curious with a brand name, like doesn't not necessarily have to do with the podcast, just a brand name in general. If you get 
it as an LLC. Mm -hmm. Do you also want to get it like registered as a trademark or stuff? Or does the LLC give you that legal protection the same way a trademark would? So the LLC name doesn't give you the kind of protection that you're Ooh. that you're talking about here. I mean, if the company name is itself a very distinctive name, like Xerox, for example, or something like that, that doesn't have any other meaning in the world, then it's pretty powerful and it becomes that common law kind of protection. But, you know, it's possible to register a company name in, say, California and another company register in Nebraska and another one in New Hampshire. And so which of those then has the exclusive right to use that in, in commerce? So also company names aren't usually the product name as well. So no, they're not the same thing. The, the trademark registration is something else you want to think hard about. Along that same line of thinking, you know, Sarah brought up an LLC. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people will establish their podcast also as a sole proprietorship or just a DBA. Yeah. What sort of protections are you looking at? between the two are, are there any is there any benefit to going ahead and taking it and, and forming an llc for your podcast or is a sole proprietorship slash dba sufficient enough to protect your your at least the name of the show and some of the other associated ip well no self-respecting lawyer would ever do an interview without at least uttering the words it depends once <laughs> so, you know and this one really does i mean if you are just in it as a hobby and you don't expect to to be doing a lot of you know business stuff generating revenue and and those kinds of things it may be okay to stay a sole proprietor or a partnership was what happens when two people just get together and don't take any affirmative legal steps to establish the business with you know in the government's eyes forming an llc or a corporation is a really good idea because it affords a kind of protection against liability. And LLC stands for limited liability company. Mm -hmm. In a sole proprietorship or a partnership, the owners of the business are responsible for everything that happens in the business. Uh, profits, losses, liabilities. Somebody comes into the studio, slips and falls and breaks their neck. You or your personal assets are going to be held responsible for that if you're a sole proprietor or a partnership. And an LLC can sort of set up a, a shield against certain kinds of those liabilities, as long as you're doing things by the book. Uh, other benefits of forming an LLC is it, it establishes a formal organizational structure, management and control structure of things. And it also allows you to raise capital by selling shares to invest investors and things like that. So lots of reasons that some people might do uh, an LLC, um, the, the most important for most being that limitation of liability. If you have a lot of assets, personal assets that you want to protect, it's a pretty cost-effective line of defense against those kinds of things. So when it comes to establishing an LLC, are there any benefits? Because I have some friends that have established LLCs and they just go to the state, they pay like, I don't know, 300, 350 bucks, they get their LLC, but then O'Lair, he hired an attorney, paid a couple grand, got a fancy little hardback folder to put it in and all this other fun stuff with a whole lot of documentation in there that I have no idea what it means. Are, are there benefits to going the, the the lawyer route or are you just as covered and is it safe and secure to just file it directly with the state? I would say if you know what you're doing, if you're comfortable with state government filings and reading all the fine print and things like that, then doing it yourself is an option. And in fact, I have a, an online program for podcasters where I teach them how to 
form their LLC, how to register their trademark, how to protect their copyrights and make the contracts with their team and all those kinds of things. And, and it's very do it yourselfable if you have a little guidance and, and instruction and access to the materials that you need. Uh, but a lot of people aren't in the, don't want to be do it yourselfers when it comes to the legal side. And so, um, that's the advantage of using a lawyer is, is that sense of confidence of that it's been done right. And that, uh, you, we hand over a turnkey operation, as you said, Larry. So you, yeah. you didn't have to read through every line of that operating agreement for your LLC and make sure that Hold it covered you because you go ahead. I, sorry. I, I was supposed to have read that. <laughs> oh, Sarah, you knew I was talking about you. I, I, I wasn't talking about you directly. I just had heard there, that people. I didn't. I, you did it through the state. I had no idea. I got a lot of papers. Yeah. They had a lot of words. Yeah, I read you the know, headings and the. This is where you sign part. If if you're willing to trust whoever prepared those documents for you and you know look they were probably a lawyer if your company is a plain vanilla no no, same no. As every Lord, other i think you're company. missing the point sarah just filed through the state for the 350 and i paid the two bills for the or the two stacks yeah, for yeah. a lawyer and she says that i overpaid because she always hates the fact that i spend money pretty freely and she's trying to get me to you know tighten the wallet a little yeah. bit well but i'm like that, i don't that, i don't I don't feel comfortable doing it through the state. I want somebody to draw those papers up and give me those nice tabs that separate each section of the of the documentation. So I, I Did know you what just I'm call me out in front of our podcast lawyer to not pay for a podcast lawyer. No, okay. I didn't. I, I called Never myself out for spending money. To no, I called myself out for not budgeting my money properly. I and never you... specifically <laughs> said that that one particular expenditure was bad it's just all of the all of them that you do are pretty pretty bad you know there is a kind of mindset around spending that uh, on on professional assistance and and other things that you know some people want to do it yourself they want to uh save money and and uh keep that belt kind of snug around the waist and some people are willing to invest because they uh, feel that the peace of mind that they're getting from it, or or just the not having to think that much about things, and it, it, either way is fine. That's why I offer uh, the done for you services as well as the done with you and the done by you with instruction kind of levels of service in in my product line. So it's good to um, have multiple tiers of offerings in your services, Gordon. Exactly. Good job. Exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, back to the question. There and there, there are the other options too. There's the legal vending machine service, right? The the ones that have words like Rocket and Zoom in their names. Oh, okay, yeah. And I sort of, you know, look again. If you're if you are exactly like every other business, then maybe that works. Um, I sort of liken it to uh, a vending machine. Would you Would you get a haircut from a vending machine? Would you stick your head in a hole where it says "haircut one dollar, okay, put is, head this... here"? Sticking things in a hole and is a very different conversation. <laughs> Not appropriate for this. Is it also in a gas station bathroom? <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> Let's not go. I'm there. staying away Man. from that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we're staying <laughs> anyway, away from the, that in the post edit as well. So, <laughs> well, the, the point being, you might get a really good haircut, or you might end up missing an ear. And I think that using those vending machine style online services, there's some risk. Yeah. And again, if you're if you're a, a, a normal everything's the same as everybody else. The problem is podcasters media production isn't like most other businesses. And so I, I do think that there are some things that you want to custom tailor. 
Yeah, I learned um, that you shouldn't use Google Docs templates to create your contracts that you send to clients and have signed. Learned that one the hard way. Well, you and know, now my attorney is rewriting them. Right. And and I guarantee you pay more to have them rewritten than you would have to have them written in the first place to, to he's cover my, them. He's my best friend's husband. I, well, get it for, I, I, don't, I don't think he's charging me this time. Okay. Your best friend's <laughs> paying the bill, basically. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> I, I pay him in how much I spoil their daughter. There you go. I got to do it. You you know, it's coming when you're talking to me, we got to talk. All right. Y'all have fun. All right. Thanks for joining us today, Sarah. It's been great having you as a guest (laughs) on branded, but yeah, I got to ask because I've had some discussions. I've actually worked with a a patent officer, uh, not a patent office, but an attorney's office that specializes Mm -hmm. in, in uh, IP here in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, but it's been several months since we've had that discussion. Uh, so I'm wondering, what are some of the latest and greatest that you've heard in the realm of uh, of, of IP and AI-generated content? Well, this really is the, the bleeding edge of the law and, and technology right now. And it's sort of hard to say what the rules really are because it's going to change again every few months. Sure. Right now, the Copyright Office has held that... Uh, uh, unless it is generated by a human, it is not entitled to copyright protection. Mm-hmm. And this is actually, a, a, there's a long line of cases involving uh, paintings created by an elephant. The, yep. the selfie yep. taken by the monkey? And the monkey selfie, yep. exactly. And the song the written same... by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, someone tried to copyright that <laughs> right. as well. So yeah, true. Yeah, so the same rule applies to machine-generated stuff. If it's not sure. human, there's no copyright. And that has become a bit of an issue for creators that use AI as a tool in the making of their work. And the Copyright Office has come out with guidance on how you're supposed to file the registration and disclaim the AI-generated material. And and a, a fellow who tried to register some AI-generated material uh, and was rejected, he filed a lawsuit against the Copyright Office. That was just resolved against him in favor oh, of the Copyright that. Office recently. Okay. And it's going to go up on appeal and you know it'll sure. take an couple of years before we know the outcome of that. Meanwhile, on the other side, we have a lot of litigation happening around the training data sets. And doesn't the machine have to sort of make copies of the material into its memory, if nothing else, in order to learn from it and so on. And so there are a number of authors that are suing because their books, if you ask for a detailed summary of the book it'll spit it out exactly right accurately sure well how could it possibly have done that if it hadn't copied the book and that's one of the arguments uh in the image side of things uh getty images and another uh, and a number of other stock photo agencies and those kinds of things they're suing saying hey you know you you used our images of this to train the machine so now that when you ask the machine for a picture of darth vader wearing a spider-man costume you know, it it's getting into all kinds of copyright stuff there as well. Sure. So the output could be infringing, even though, even though the um, you know the the work is new and original in a sense. We get into all kinds of weird issues there. Who do you sue when right. it's a machine that generated the thing? And there's also the music side, uh, and we get into the AI generated songs. Remember uh, last summer there was the what was it the weekend? It was and, the weekend, yeah. Yeah, and and I don't remember who we collabed with. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was Weekend and Drake. It, it wasn't an actual collaboration. It was right. all generated by machine, and it ran on the radio, and it, and it was published on Spotify for a while, and they eventually took it down after demands from I think both artists' management. But 
uh, again, you know, that raises other issues around what we call the right of privacy and right of publicity, uh, the use of a person's name and likeness and sound of their voice and those sure. kinds of things. So lots of, uh, lots of gray in the areas right now, but we're, we're watching and waiting to see what happens next. It's so. interesting. Cause it seems like the, the, uh, from a legal perspective, things are moving pretty slow in that arena. Cause I mean, we've been in this position now for at least the last six to eight months, uh, that I've heard these stories and I mean the monkey story and even yeah. the elephant painting and, and uh, Getty images and those suing mid journey and some of these other larger uh, application platforms, but I haven't heard of much progress on that front. So that it, is sort of the nature of legal developments. You know, legislatures okay. can act fairly quickly and make a law, but if you, if people are suing, you know, the process takes months and months and months or sure. years. And then if you want to appeal, that's another year or more. And, you know, by the time you get to the Supreme court, um, you know, there was a case that was just decided last summer, finally, that was nine years of litigation uh, wow. to get to the Supreme court. And it was a, you know, copyright fair use case involving, uh, photos. And you might've heard about that Andy Warhol case. Uh, it, it went on for a long time and, yeah. you know, spending millions and millions of dollars on legal fees to get there too. So I would lose interest by that. I'd be like, you know what? It's been five years. I'm done. It's just whatever. <laughs> just, I get, there's no way I'm too squirrely, but, uh, but no, it's, it's great. I appreciate you giving us that input and sure. you may or may not have an answer answer here. And if not, I totally understand. Do you see any implications from an IP perspective with the executive order that just came from the white house in regards to AI and AI development? Is there anything there that you might be aware of? One of the areas that I talked about, that right of publicity, the name and likeness and sound of the voice thing, there is a section in those executive order that addresses that specifically trying Hold to up. sort of... I'm, I'm sure whoever is listening to this has... Someone's got to be like me. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> President Biden signed an executive order a week or two ago now. It's been a couple uh, weeks, yeah. yeah yes, context. Thank you. And, and it, it was mainly aimed at how are we going to manage the use of AI in government? and protect privacy and protect confidentiality and, and classified material. And, you know, there, there are concerns about national security if we're using software that was generated overseas by the Chinese or the Russian programmers or something like that. So lots of national security concerns. But they did address this question of, of uh, creating a sort of federal level right of publicity for people's names and likenesses and sounds of voice. I will say artificial intelligence in government is better than the zero intelligence we have currently in government. <laughs> there is an argument. Hot take. Yeah. I don't know. And yeah, the... That's about as political as we get on branded. So uh... <laughs> not that I disagree in any way, shape, fashion or form. But uh, but yeah. So, well, I appreciate that insight, Gordon. I know we, we got a little bit into the weeds there, Sarah. I appreciate you establishing that context for some of the listeners that may not be as uh, in in tune with the AI development space as I tend to be and as I'm sure Gordon is to a certain degree as well. So, uh, but I appreciate those insights. Uh, did he answer Gordon, the question after I cut him off? I don't even know. Yeah, he just used it. He did it in a different language. He, it was legal. Okay, I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. Legal, legal AIEs was the language that we was using. Um, okay. But anyways, Gordon, you, you provided a lot of insight on a variety of different topics today as far as how we could secure you know, our, our own intellectual property that we, again, put a lot of time and energy into to, to develop. So thank you for that. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you would, please give everybody an opportunity to reach out to you. Where's the best place to make contact and learn more about what you bring to the table as far as uh, entertainment law goes? Well, best place to look for me is gordonfiremark.com, where I have sort of a 
uh, a menu of my various offerings that we were talking about earlier. And uh, uh, that's a great way to find me. You can follow me on social media, G Firemark on almost everything. Uh, Gordon Firemark on Instagram because something went wrong. And um, check out my YouTube channel. I do a weekly live stream podcast called Legit Podcast Pro. Uh, G Firemark on on YouTube as well. And uh, there's always Entertainment Law Update, the, the flagship podcast. So Awesome. Awesome. I was going to say that you should like trademark like a new legal term. That's just like the fire mark. <laughs> oh, there's actually an Thanks. insurance company called the fire mark. <laughs> uh, did, did they get all of the legal everything or can you steal it? No, no, I can still. I, I, and I have some protection in place for my name and, and my my catchphrase, the podcast lawyer. No, Those now you should things. be like, just fire market. Like, oh, that's come clever. On. We need to uh, make yeah. this a verb. That's that is that's that's pretty cool. See, that's why you have conversations with brand consultants. Exactly. Now, I did notice that you have an entire section on your website about the Firemark name. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Explaining what what the noun Firemark means and where it comes from, and uh, we don't know much about how our family ended up with it. We assume it was sort of generated for us at the immigration center when my great great grandpa came in from. Oh wow. Country. The original chat GPT. I was going to say it was AI generated when, you, when they migrated over. So, <laughs> well, Gordon, man, once again, we really appreciate it. Hey, everybody, if you got some value out of this episode and you're ready to fire mark your intellectual property, do us a favor, slam that subscribe button so we can continue to bring this, bring you this amazing content each and every week. And with that, I'm Larry Roberts. I'm Sarah Losey. I'll talk to you next week. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.